we continue exploring together Hope Unitarian Church's last 50 years, decade by decade. We've gone from prehistory and geological time to stepping into the 1980s this Sunday. You missed a lovely adult forum if you weren't here where we heard about building the log cabin and our preschool. Um, So my goal of preaching about the decades is twofold. First, we can live up to our weekly litany of gratitude by bringing forward some of the shoulders upon which we stand. We drink from wells we did not dig. Many people have worked tirelessly, some still here. Others have moved on or died to become the mighty cloud of witnesses. And we are grateful for their efforts. We benefit from them, we build upon them. Secondly, we bring our most modern sensibilities to celebrate past successes and discover past mistakes. And the second part is a critical lesson in humility. A good history tries to look back with new clarity to bring forth patterns and events we couldn't see while we were in the thick of things. So we bring today's blind spots, egos, cultural mores to the project so we can see both more clearly and more dimly. And this contradiction is the nature of all projects of history. This contradiction is the nature of being human. So like every decade in human history, there are pivotal events in the 1980s that resonate today. So Ronald Reagan was the president for most of that decade, and he upends economic policies and the international stage. Prosperity comes to the United States after a lengthy recession, and the Cold War ends. There are Olympic triumphs and controversies. The personal computer age is born as Microsoft releases the first version of the Windows operating system. Some would curse that day. (laughs) It's the decade of the miracle on ice. I remember watching this when a team of U.S. amateur ice hockey players defeat the vaunted Soviet professional all-star team. And then they go on to win, the U.S. team goes on to win the gold medal. Alice Walker publishes The Color Purple. Sandra Day O'Connor becomes the first female Supreme Court justice. And that same Supreme Court rules in favor of First Nation peoples in California, opening the way to gambling in tribal lands. One craze born out of the 1980s is the invention by the Hungarian sculptor and professor of architecture, Erna Rubik. He sets out to help his students understand three-dimensional problems. So starting with blocks of wood and rubber bands, he devises a cube that will allow individual pieces to move without the whole structure falling apart. And his students love the invention. And Rubik realizes the potential of what he's created. But in communist Hungary at the time, imports and exports are tightly controlled. So the answer, 
show it at toy fairs. So they go to all these toy fairs around the world, and there's a toy specialist, Tom Kremer, who sees this and says, oh, I get it, and wants to sell it to the rest of the world. And with his passion, this is bought by the Ideal Toy Company and distributed originally as the Magic Cube, and then it's renamed Rubik's Cube in the 1980s. That's the first launch of it. And in the first two years, an estimated 100 million of these babies are sold worldwide. Who has one lounging somewhere at home? <laughs> this may make you want to get out and get it. Um, because it, it uh, global domination happened. They were everywhere. So this morning, I'm imagining this 1980s phenomenon as a metaphor for theology. So I have a small one for each one of you. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a hmm of approval. <laughs> That's how ministers get by. So let's use it together for our joint Hope Unitarian Church project of learning, discussing, and discerning life's big questions. Consider theology as a multifaceted Rubik's Cube. Each side represents a major aspect of life. Imagine this side, for example, to represent what you understand about the source of creation, about the driving forces of birth, of spring, of nature, of oceans, of sunrises. And then let's imagine this side, suffering, evil, sin, equally a part of life. In the classical systematic theology, the other sides of this puzzle about the ultimate nature of life would be church, would be one, or in more secular terms, how we come together to support each other and ask the big questions together. Another side would be questions about death and time. Where do we go after we die? Here we have questions about God or about where inspiration and imagination come from. Another side represents all sources of wisdom. Again, in classical theology, the wisdom would be the word of God as revealed in the Bible. We proclaim wisdom comes from texts since the beginning of time, and not just written and spoken words, but the wisdom of a bird, of a star, of a tornado of a revision of pop music. Because we have human agency, because we have, oh, I hate to say free will. I'm no longer convinced we fully have free will, but for the moment, let's imagine that we have free will. We have this ability to turn the blocks, right? To mix up sin with creation. 
And we can turn the blocks in a variety of ways in our lifetime. We can model what life throws at us, as well as how much we make an impact in the world. It's an interesting representation of all the forces of which we are, but a small part. So while the Rubik's Cube is becoming a worldwide sensation, Hope Unitarian Church has completed its first decade and building this glorious building. And we're now going about our business of living fully into this space. The church is growing, and to accommodate more, we design and build the log cabin. It is one of my favorite spaces. If you haven't been there or been out to the deck, it's time. We create the major nature trail behind it. We open a preschool to provide education, child care, and community for families in South Tulsa. So in effect, the church has its Rubik Cube now in the 1980s and is exploring to see what belongs on its various sides. They are discerning what is most important. And this is work that we never cease doing. Unlike other religious institutions with set creeds and theologies, we are always asking, what is of utmost importance? How does life fit together? Who or what is in control? And what impact can we make, if any? And how do we cooperate with others? Under the vibrant leadership of the Reverend Bill Gold, this gathered congregation continues to discern what it means to be liberal, progressive in South Tulsa. Theologically and intellectually, Bill models what it means to journey from the conservative Protestant Christianity of his youth to the wide open possibilities of a Unitarian skeptic. I've been reading some of his collected sermons, and he brought a passionate antidote to the growing conservative religious communities in our city and nation. He brings curiosity about religious history and symbols and ideas, coupled with a complete rejection of religion's ways. To our Rubik Cube of theological understandings, Bill insists more than one side, maybe every side except one, has to be devoted to reason in the search of, for truth, to avoid dogmatism, and eschew creeds. Bill frequently preaches what the church should be against, against superstition, against miracles, against religious hypocrisy. As I read, I find I agree with him in many regards. At the same time, his notion of unbiased reason as the main source of wisdom feels too optimistic, too strident, too ego-centered. Bill writes and preaches as if life can be solved by intellectual scientific thinking. He certainly mirrors the certainty of the religious right. His theology assumes life indeed is some puzzle that humans can solve. 
And this is the moment where, for me, the Rubik Cube metaphor breaks down. Because our understanding of the big questions in life can't be fully solved. Humility and curiosity must be a solid aspect of at least one side of our theological cube. And I don't mean to fully misrepresent Bill. He was a man who had many facets. But I'm picking him to be a straw man. I've been reading a short, pithy book by Carlo Rovelli, an Italian physicist. He has that wonderful capacity to explain complex science to the lay reader like me. So in seven brief chapters, he unpacks the scientific and philosophical breakthroughs of the last hundred years, from Einstein's relativity through quantum mechanics to the mysteries of heat coming from black holes and the architecture of the universe. And in this book, The Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, he responds to Bill Gold and others who imagine human rational thought is the final full answer to life's questions. Ravelli writes, the border is porous. Myths nourish science, and science nourishes myth. Let me go on and read a bit more. We human beings are first and foremost the subjects who do the observing of this world, the collective makers of the photograph of reality that he's tried to compose. We are nodes in the network of exchange of which his book is a, an example, through which we pass images, tools, information, and knowledge. But we're also an integral part of the world that we perceive. We are not external observers. We are situated within it. Our view of it is from within its midst. We are made up of the same atoms and the same light signals as are exchanged between pine trees in the mountains and stars in the galaxies. In other words, we are integral to nature, every part of us. What we can see and understand remains and always will remain a very, very, very small part of this cosmos. Any theological system, any theological system which claims to have the answers without leaving wide open many sides for doubt and questions, or one where you can't maybe even change the stickers. I don't want yellow got to be, that's a problem if your theological system is set. These days, there are Rubik's cubes designed for easy speed turning. And the puzzle has had this 21st century revival with a World Rubik's Games Championship that now has been going on since 2003. And this subworld. It's amazing, now that I've delved into it. So imagine solving this in the time it takes me to say this sentence. Today, Felix Zemdigs, he's a 22-year-old Australian man, has won the world record this year for solving the problem 
in 4.2 seconds. But that's another place where this metaphor breaks down. This project of understanding life's big questions, it's never never-ending search. It's the search of a lifetime. It's a marathon. It's not a speed championship. It's actually the search of a billion lifetimes. Since no one person can hold all the answers, it is right and proper for Hope Church to listen to and have the ideas of new members that we just welcomed. We expect your new ideas, new members and new ministers. So after the charismatic Bill Gold, there's something called an interim. Sam Wright brings his understanding of the cosmos and of life. And on his Rubik's Cube, from what I've read about him, he has mysticism on one side, and he has nature and environmental concerns on one side. And then Jim Eller comes and brings his theology of abundance. What he's hearing from Hope Church is that there's scarcity. And he goes, oh no, there's abundance. What's on my Rubik's Cube today? Today. (laughs) I get to change my mind. For this moment, my thoughts are inspired by Rovelli's description of science. Continually, he continually finds everything is relational in the cosmos. He writes, that which makes us specifically human does not signify our separation from nature. It is part of that self-same nature. It's a form that nature has taken here on our planet. Our very soul itself is only a small part of this interrelated quanta of data points. All the various attempts to condense the cosmos into mathematical formulas continue to highlight how connected and integrated we are. So for me, the magic of the Rubik's Cube is its inner interlocking whether it's locked together like the original that Rubik made with rubber bands, or then he tried magnets and finally ended up with this set of interlocking wings. The heart of the cube is, for me, understanding I'm always part of something bigger. There's something I'm always connected to, even when I feel my smallest and most unworthy. When I feel that way, it's a lie. I am connected. And what's on the outside of mine is love. There's love there, which means knowing I'm a part of something. Sin, I'll have sin there, and I'll use that word, which means anything that separates us, anything I do that separates me from others. Another side represents forces beyond my control. Some call it God today. I think I agree with Bill Gold. It's something like probabilities. Rovelli said probabilities. 
possibilities, uncertainty, but chance. Humility and curiosity have to be part of my system. And beauty is another one. And I hate to add this, but suffering has to be part of mine. It's not noble, but it's there. So what do the sides of your Rubik's Cube represent? What's inside of yours? May having this in your hand, and if you didn't get one, maybe there's some more left or you can trade. I'll give you mine, because I want a speed cube now. May having this in your hand help you find more love and compassion and patience and fervor and curiosity and fierceness knowing that you're an integral part of this cosmos. May it be so.